Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Benjamin Solar. Howdy. Hey, Caitlin. <laughs> Hi. All right. So today we're going to keep this short and sweet, I think, because we've got a really different, really cool, really pretty functional how-to-y kind of episode. I think it's one of the, I don't know, more unique ones that we've done. It was a great idea. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you. Um, although I can't take all the credit because this person reached out to me and said, hey, I really think that your audience needs this skill and it clicked immediately. So yeah. I will not bury the lead. I will say today our guest is Stephanie Chandler. Um, she runs the Nonfiction Authors Association. She's the founder and the Nonfiction Writers Conference. She's also written so many books. Just Google her. You will see how prolific she's been. She basically teaches people how to get a nonfiction book published, among many, many other things. And I thought in the Simplify audience, there's probably what, at least 50% of you would love to write your own book, but maybe don't know where to start. I have often thought, I got a book in me somewhere, but mm. I don't know what it's about and I don't know how to start it. And it seems pretty overwhelming. So I talked with Stephanie and just asked her all the questions. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So let's just play the tape and then we can talk about it and recommend some books. Yeah. At the end. What's great is that you're gonna you're gonna have very concrete steps by the end of this episode yeah. for how to start writing your book and your options when it comes to getting it published. Okay, let's roll it. Let's do it. Hi Stephanie, how are you? Hey Caitlin, I am great. It's so fun to be with you today delighted that you made the time. Stephanie, would you please introduce yourself the way that you like to be introduced? Yeah, I am Stephanie Chandler. I'm founder and CEO of the Nonfiction Authors Association and Writers Conference and a fellow author myself and a former bookstore owner. So I understand the publishing industry from many different directions. Wow, you do from delivery to awaiting customers' <laughs> hands to conception. That's really cool. All right. Awesome. So here's something that I'm curious about. What do you think about this idea that everybody has a book in them? Do you think everyone has a book in them? I don't know if everyone does, but there's been this statistic floating around for years that 80% of people want to write a book. And I wish I knew the source and if it's an actual <laughs> real statistic. But I will say a lot of people I talk to say, I'd love to write a book. And a smaller percentage of people say, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, I would say that like probably 80% of my friends would like to write a book. And then I, I think that my closest five friends or so already have. So I'm lagging behind. This episode is also for me. Oh, great. <laughs> I love it. So apart from me, Stephanie, who should write a book? So I focus on nonfiction. And I think that anybody who has something unique to say especially in the nonfiction spaces. So whether you're writing from life experience, you're teaching something, those are kind of the two main things we see in the nonfiction space. And I think that even though there are reportedly a million new books being released every year, Wow. I firmly believe there is always space for new content, provided it is unique and stands out from its competition. All right. So then let's talk about, I've decided I want to write a book. I think I can. If I don't have my total idea altogether yet, how do I figure out what to write about? You said it has to be unique. It can be something that teaches a skill that you know, or an idea that you know a lot about, or from personal experience. How would you say people can figure out what their book is about? 
So I personally like to use the old storyboard method when I'm mapping out a book. So Mm -hmm. I will literally, I'm very visual, I'll take a stack of three by five cards. I will write each and every minute topic, example, Mm -hmm. story, whatever it is I want to share. And each individual idea gets put down on a three by five card. And I will start to literally take up the floor in my living room and lay them out before me. And then I will start to put them in order. And I find this is really clarifying to figure out, you know, um, if I'm putting them in order of kind of perceived chapters, where are the chapters too big? Where are the chapters light? How do I even balance it out? What's missing from this? Mm -hmm. So that is kind of the way to form that table of contents. But also you want to do that research prior to writing the book. So you want to study what books are currently in the market. You don't need to worry about books that were published, you know, even five or 10 years ago if they're not currently selling well. What -hmm. you want to do is focus on the most current competition and position your book differently. And one more tip, Caitlin, some people find this helpful. Write your book description first. Oh, okay. Write your book description and what it is that the audience will gain from reading your book. And that can also help you get more clear. So you said write your book description first. Does that mean I just basically write a pitch? Yeah. If you think about what's on the back cover of a book or the description that you see on Amazon, Ah, that's what you're aiming for. And by Mm -hmm. the way, I should have said this first, know your target audience. I cannot emphasize this enough. Hmm. Who is it you're writing for? What do they care about? How is your book going to improve their lives in some way? So I always advise our authors, focus on your audience's interests, needs, and challenges, right? So how can you address these common questions that they have? How can you do something that makes their lives easier? How can you do something that is different from what they're already reading about in your space? And if you can niche that down, even better. You know, using myself as an example, I was out speaking at writers' conferences and I would get so disappointed by the fact that so little attention was paid to nonfiction writers. It was all about fiction, children's books, maybe a little memoir. But I was at a conference with 350 people. And I was the only business book writer there because there was no content for us. So that's why I started the Nonfiction Writers Conference and the association that followed because I saw a need and nobody was filling it. And it allowed me to expand, to write books for my audience. I have very little competition in this space, even today, you know, 13 years later. I could have been another general, you know, writer's organization, and then I would have had tons and tons and tons of competition. But instead, we got really clear on the audience and it spoke to people. So if you can think about that for your book, that will be half your battle. So I've got my passionate idea, the thing that I'm excited about writing about that I can uniquely do. I read a description of that idea. Then I research my audience and figure out what they need. I see what else is out there and how I can offer something different. So then what happens? 
<laughs> then you have to start writing, Caitlin. <laughs> ah, okay. And it can be so intimidating. The thought of yeah. writing a whole book can be so intimidating. So, you know, what I like to remind new authors is that, so let's say your typical book manuscript, and by the way, manuscripts have gotten shorter over the years. We can thank Seth Godin for starting to write shorter books. It became a trend. And so you don't necessarily have to write an 80,000 word manuscript. You can even do a 40 or 50,000 word manuscript. And if you think about, you know, two typed pages are about 500 words. So if you were to write four pages a day would be a thousand words. If you did that for 40 or 50 days, you'd have a manuscript, a thousand words a day. That's like totally doable in two months or so. Right? That's the point. If you break it into those small pieces and you're working from an outline, and by the way, your outline will shift a little bit, but, you know, hopefully you're using an outline to kind of keep you on track and you're treating it maybe even like writing miniature articles and maybe you're even pulling in some content you've already written. I write Mm. a ton of blog posts. So whenever I sit down to write a book, I map my blog posts into my outline to see if some of the content is already created. Using what you already have, very, very smart. So is the outline the same thing as that storyboarding activity that you mentioned at first? Or is that a much earlier sort of conceptual activity? Yeah, no, the storyboard kind of becomes the outline. Mm. And it's a very detailed one because, again, I'm when I do this my way, I put every case study, every little itty-bitty concept because I really want to catch the granular details in my outline. And again, I, you don't always necessarily stick to it verbatim. It will definitely kind of ebb and flow, but it gives you a clear focus and you're able to see clearly that your chapters are pretty equal in size and that there's a logical progression to the book itself. Mm-hmm. So say I make it through the first draft of my book and I have this manuscript then what happens? So you have a couple of options here. A lot of authors go straight into editing. Some mm-hmm. authors go to beta readers. Beta readers are people that you give early access to your manuscripts, oftentimes for editorial feedback. And so for first-time authors, this can be really productive if that's the kind of feedback you want. Now, I will say mm-hmm. I've been a writer a long time. I don't necessarily like editorial feedback I feel pretty confident in my writing, but especially if you're new to this, I think beta reader feedback is useful. But you do have to remember the more cooks you put in the kitchen, the more overwhelming it can be. And you're never going to satisfy everybody. Mm -hmm. So you do have to kind of sift through that, but it can also be helpful. Are there trends? You know, are people bringing up the same issue over and over again? And then when you work with beta readers, I think it's important to be really clear about the feedback that you're seeking. So Mm. are you asking them probably not to correct punctuation and spelling, right? You're wanting them to give you kind of structural feedback, do things make sense, and then have them fill out like a form for each chapter so that you're getting really specific feedback that's helpful for you, not only shaping that manuscript, but gaining confidence and mm-hmm. that it is solid. So then I don't necessarily need an agent and a publisher and a publicist on my side to get this done. 
Not initially. So between beta readers and the next steps, I'm really a huge proponent of editing. I am not an editor myself. I think I'm a pretty good writer, but I will tell you, editors save me every day. So editors are (laughs) wonderful. If you're traditionally publishing, they will put a manuscript through two to three rounds of editing, usually three. And then there's three levels of editing, I should say. So a developmental editor gets in there and basically performs surgery on the manuscript. They Mm -hmm. might rework some things. They might make suggestions for, you know, this needs to be expanded. This is repetitive. And then you come back and it's kind of a mutual relationship where you're working back and forth. Not every writer needs developmental editing. I don't do it because, again, I Mm -hmm. feel pretty confident in my structure and flow, but I absolutely see the value in it for writers who want that feedback. But then after that, every writer needs copy editing. And copy editing is still a level of feedback where the editor will let you know if something is confusing or you're using jargon or I think you mentioned this back in chapter two, you know, so... Copy editing will give you a slight amount of feedback, but it's really looking at your structure, the Mm. flow of the manuscript. And so I personally always go through at least one round of copy editing. And then the last level is proofreading. And proofreading, because you've gone back and forth with copy editing, you've made changes, you want that final proofread to catch grammar, punctuation, spelling, you know, those little details. But honestly, I think it's worthwhile to do at least two rounds of proofreading with two different editors, right? You can never have enough Mm -hmm. eyeballs on a piece of work. Yeah, of course. Okay, then tell me about what you usually write about. My last book was called The Nonfiction Book Publishing Plan. So it's literally a step-by-step guide on how to be your own publisher. It's really detailed, really thorough. I'm very proud of it. And then I have a new book coming out in the fall Um, called the Nonfiction Book Marketing and Launch Plan Workbook. I teach a book marketing master course, and I created this workbook for the course a couple of years back, and it's evolved. And my course attendees keep saying, this should be out in the world. You don't need to take the course to use this workbook. And so I actually went and got beta readers. I had about 40 people, and I asked them to review it and tell me, does it stand alone? Does it need the course? And they said, no, this definitely stands alone. So we're putting some finishing touches and that will be out in the fall. And I'm really excited because I personally love a workbook. And this is not one of those that's full of blank pages. It's really rich in content. And I really feel like it's going to help people. That does sound very helpful. It sounds like something I need to have in my own life, actually. If I'm going to write this book, Stephanie, it sounds like you probably read a lot of burgeoning books in your time and seen (laughs) a lot of descriptions. Mm -hmm. How do you know when there's really something there? What do you notice about the ideas that are really promising? Like, what are some characteristics of the really good ones? Oh, I love this question. I don't think anyone has ever asked me this. So um, I've done hybrid book publishing also for all these years. So I have... What what does that mean? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So hybrid publishing is basically paid self-publishing services. So can -hmm. you go out and self-publish your book? Absolutely. It's a lot of work. You have to hire Mm -hmm. the editors and the designers and then interior typesetting and have their ebook formatted. So there are a group of hybrid book publishers are basically service providers that produce your book for you for a fee, Mm -hmm. 
but they also have quality standards, right? Mm. So they're not just publishing anything in exchange for a check. You want to know your book is in good company, that there's a standard, right? So that's really important. And it's become very popular in the self-publishing space. And so you can outsource the production of your book and know Mm -hmm. that it's done really well. Cool. Okay. Thank you for that. So back to your question. So um, how do I know there's something special? I am flashing on an author example. So I'll give you this author, Clayton Moore, who was referred to me by a ghostwriter a couple of years ago, wrote a memoir about being the first Black police officer in Fostoria, Illinois, or Fostoria, Ohio, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And his experience with racism within the police department as an officer, right? So it's kind oh, of the wow. other side, right? Yeah. And his title is brilliant, Caitlin. The title is Good Cop, Black Cop. So literally, he's telling me his story. I am getting chills. He's the kindest, sweetest human I have ever met. And he has so much sincerity. And he, because he's not a writer, he hired a ghostwriter to help him produce the manuscript. So it's Mm -hmm. really well written. It's a wonderful, inspiring story. And also sad, right? Sad to know Mm -hmm. that this still happens. And so that really stood out for me. The other thing that I notice with successful books, so Jenny Levine Fink comes to mind. She runs a community called goodforyougluten-free.com. And this is so smart. So Jenny went through a period of discovering she had celiac disease. She had to get off Mm -hmm. gluten. She started writing about it. And she ultimately built a community around how to live gluten-free. So the smart move there is that she started building her audience several years before she wrote her book. And her book is basically a prescriptive memoir called Dear Gluten, It's Not Me, It's You. And a great title, once again, and a perspective on what it's like to go through having to rid your life of gluten and replace it. Not only was her concept different and interesting, but she'd already been building her audience. Mm -hmm. And for sure, as soon as her book came out, it started selling really, really well because of that. So there's just those little Mm -hmm. nuggets of something that's a little different, a little special, a different perspective on a topic we've heard before. Because there's no new ideas, right? There's just no new ideas. No, there's just new expressions of them. Even my own book, you know, the nonfiction book publishing plan, there are dozens, if not, you know, probably a couple hundred books on how to publish your book. Mm-hmm. None of them speak specifically to nonfiction. Can mm-hmm. it still apply to fiction? Sure. But there are some unique differences with nonfiction. A lot of writers are trying to um, use their book to grow their business or establish thought leadership. So there's different considerations. So therefore, it's different than what was mm-hmm. already out there. And it's aligned mm-hmm. with my expertise. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about what might persuade someone to self-publish versus going the traditional route? Or how do you know what's right for you? Yeah. So traditional publishing has really changed over the years. It's harder than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So traditional publishers are looking for authors with a built-in audience because that is how they guarantee a book is going to sell. If you come to them with a business book or a self-help book or whatever it is, and you don't have an established audience, 
it is going to be infinitely harder to get a book deal. So memoir is a little bit different because part of that really relies on the quality of the writing. But any Uh other type of prescriptive nonfiction, especially with a big five publisher, they are looking for the author to have an audience. Now, smaller, mid-sized publishers, maybe a specialty publisher, maybe you've written a book on, you know, something to do with holistic healing. Mm -hmm. You might find a small press that would take on the book. But you're not going to get a huge advance, you know. And so let's clarify some myths around that because in traditional publishing, advances have come way down unless you have a huge audience. So Mm -hmm. let's say you have a a decent audience. Maybe you have an email list of 20,000 subscribers. That would probably impress a publisher. Mm -hmm. Then they might offer you maybe a $10,000 advance on your book. Mm -hmm. Now, that all sounds like, you know, daisies and roses until you realize that you will never see another dollar for that book until you've earned back that advance one book sale at a time. And the publishers typically only pay authors around a dollar a book. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's horrible. The earnings for authors are horrible. I didn't know. Yes. Yes. And I even, I earn even less than that. So I have some, I have three traditionally published books. I chose to leave traditional publishing because of these issues and because they get all the control. So once you sign on the dotted line, they can change your title. They can give you a cover you don't like. One of the publishers I work with called me at the last minute and said, we want you to remove a chapter. We don't care which one we're trying to cut costs. Oh, Right? What writer wants to hear that? Zero. Exactly zero. I was mortified. And what I ended up doing was turning the chapter into a bonus download that readers could get. I had to make lemonade out of that somehow. But I thought, I am never letting this happen again. Mm -hmm. And it usually takes them about a year. And it used to be that the traditional publishers, the reason to go with them would be the brick and mortar bookstore placement, which is still important, you know, if you're... If you have a high-demand book, if you have an audience, brick-and-mortar books replacement may make sense. But we believe today that around 70% of all book sales are happening through Amazon. So I tell authors, I don't think brick-and-mortar bookstore sales have nearly the importance that they did years ago. And there's so many limitations with traditional publishers. Now, with that said, I also speak from experience because I have books traditionally published. It was a life goal. I really wanted a traditional publishing deal. I got myself my first one. I signed with an agent. We sold two more. That was really satisfying from a goal standpoint. Mm -hmm. But when I look back at the whole picture, you know, it took me three books to realize I am type A. I want to control my own work. And Mm -hmm. I'm doing all the work anyway. The publishers, there's a big myth around the marketing. They don't do the marketing unless you're a known quantity. Do you know when you walk into like a Barnes and Noble bookstore, the books that you see on the tables and the end caps, that is all paid placement. Publishers are paying to put their books on those tables. Wow. I mean, it's a crazy industry. So self-publishing has just become more and more appealing over the years because you have control. You'll earn five, 10, even $15 a copy, depending on how you're selling your books. You know, you maintain the control. Yes, you spend the money up front, but you can 
potentially earn it on the back end. I will never tell somebody to get into publishing to get rich. It's not a get rich (laughs) (laughs) prospect, but it is certainly something that you can create some profits into it. Wow. That was really informative. And you just told me a whole bunch of things that I had no idea about regarding the publishing industry. What else do you wish people knew about book publishing? That you have choices. And if you're like me, how I was originally, I really wanted that traditional book deal. And what I did was I ended up self-publishing my first book. It was a business startup guide. Mm -hmm. I had gone to a writer's conference and I had an agent call me and he said, I like what you're doing. Nobody knows who you are. You need to go build that audience. So I self-published the first book. I built a website. I built traffic to that site and an email list. And, And the next year I was able to sell my book. But... I didn't understand all the options like we're discussing right now, way back then. This was 2005, 2006. Today, writers have options. And I think part of that should align with what your goals are. So let's say you want to write a book to grow your business, right? Mm -hmm. So I worked with years ago, a financial advisor. He could care less how many books he sells. He uses the book as a business card to hand to prospective clients. It's brilliant. Wow. I mean, talk about a huge return on investment, right? When Mm -hmm. your $5 book nets you a $50,000 client, I mean, whatever your numbers are. So it depends on your goals. You don't need a traditional publisher if you're using your book as a business card. If you're writing a memoir and you have a really specific audience in mind, maybe you're writing a memoir about how you've lived with diabetes, Mm -hmm. let's just say, for example, First of all, a big five publisher doesn't want a niche book like that. That's more of a mm-hmm. small press. Yeah. And then you get into the, well, it's small press. Do I want a five or $10,000 advance? Do I want to wait a year for the book to come out? Do I want to lose all my control? Or do I just want to own it, do my marketing anyway, and, you know, self-publish? So mm-hmm. whether it's self-publish, work with a hybrid publisher. There's also publishing service providers. I mean, the choices are, they're vast. So I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is to do the research first to figure out Mm -hmm. what will be your best path that aligns with your goals, your budget, Mm -hmm. those types of considerations. I love that you put so much emphasis on having a goal for what this book is doing, not just Mm -hmm. a goal about, you know, what is it about and a goal for how many pages you want to write per day to get your book done in two months, but a goal for what you want this book to mean to you and your personal goals and what you want it to mean in the world. I think that's so helpful and smart. And it's a thing that I bet a lot of people aren't considering. Like you said, Your first traditionally published book was a big milestone for you and really important because that was a personal goal you had. It felt like something. It meant something to you. And that it's just as good a goal as, you know, making lots of money off of a book. I think that was a really, a really nice distinction. Thank you for bringing it up. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that. Yeah. (laughs) And these are the things I didn't know, right? I didn't know when I was starting. So I think it's important to understand and be really thoughtful about how you approach it. It's such a wonderful feeling to actually get your book published. I think I'm 10 books in and every book still feels like a massive accomplishment. And so if you and your listeners are thinking about it, my advice is do it. Don't wait till you retire. Don't put it off. It is such a rewarding 
accomplishment to have in your life. Awesome. That is so helpful. Okay. Then Stephanie, thank you so much for spending time with me today and for sharing all of this really useful, amazing information about book publishing. Where can people find you on the internet if they want more of you? Yeah, it's definitely nonfictionauthorsassociation.com. We have a really big presence on Facebook. We're building on Instagram. And I always love connecting with our community. So please reach out. And thank you so much, Caitlin. It was really fun to talk about all of this. Thanks, Stephanie. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. Indeed we do. But first, we talk about the interview. Right. So what's your, what are your takeaways? You said before the interview um, how to write a book and then how to get it published. Mm-hmm. What do you want to highlight for the listeners? Well, what I wanted to highlight for the listeners, Stephanie says that there are two kinds of nonfiction books. There's writing for a unique experience, and then there's something to teach. And the success of something to teach is how clear you are, how well you do it the information that you provide and writing from unique experience, that's memoir. So it depends more on like being a really good writer and having a unique voice. And I thought that separating them into these two camps was sort of interesting and it gives you immediately a way to think about, well, what can I give to the world? Do I have something to teach or can I be a really great writer and like give my personal experience? And there are, you know, some instances in which these are mixed, but I thought that was a cool way to start thinking about what direction you could possibly go. What would what what's your book? Unique experience or something to teach? Um well I don't really have anything to teach. <laughs> <laughs> so probably writing from unique experience. What about you? What do you mean you don't have anything to teach? You could take do all these simplify learnings. Yeah, but th- maybe. They're not really mine though. I don't know. Huh. I haven't decided yet. Is there anything that surprised you or stood out to you? I mean, I'm always surprised when I hear from authors talking about how self publishing is such a promising solution. Um, Me too. I don't think that much about publishing a book and all the different lovers and mechanics involved in getting a book out there is yeah. is a bit, it's honestly a bit scary and overwhelming. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. how she was like, here's the advantages and disadvantages of, yeah. of those options. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that stood out for me. Same. And actually what was part and parcel of that part of the conversation was this moment where she said, You know, you can decide when you're publishing what matters to you more. Mm -hmm. Is it so for her from a personal goal standpoint, being published by a traditional publisher felt really good. That was a milestone for her. It was worth it to do it that way. She didn't get paid as much per book as she would if she'd self-published. But for her, that was meaningful and it was a choice she made. And in the future, she decided, look, I can get way more out of this monetarily and I can give more to the world if I just go ahead and self-publish. And I think it's really neat to think about that, too. So we're giving you um, some nice forks in the road to think about here in terms of how to start and what you're going to do when you publish. Yeah. Yeah. Should we recommend some books? Yeah, let's do it. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, Today I brought a lovely, lovely book. It is called Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. It's told from her personal perspective. It's a writing guide, but it's really, really lovely. The Blink is in the app. It's a really, really nice Blink. I'd encourage you to check it out. Lamont talks a lot about honesty, which ties into what Stephanie was saying about having a unique perspective. And also tying in with what we just talked about, I love that Lamont also personally notes that being a good writer is more important than being published. Mm. This is another one of those moments where... 
you pick your goal. Right. Is it really meaningful you to be for you to be published and be published by, say, a big house and you can point to that? Or is being a good writer more important? Because if you're really lucky, you can write a really good book that will touch a few people and maybe your agent will send you flowers and you'll make like 75 cents per copy and you can still be an amazing writer. Just because it isn't a blockbuster doesn't mean that, you know, you're not a great writer. Right. Nice one. Yeah. Bird by Bird and Lamotte. It's in Blinkist. Check it out. Sweet. Mine, you know, whenever I hear people say, you know, write a thousand words for 40 days, I'm like, yeah, sounds easy. Mm. I'll do that for four days and then probably never do it again. Yeah. So I wanted to think of something about like kind of in a productivity plan, keeping up with a plan sort of book. Mm -hmm. You know, Atomic Habits is a really good example of this, getting things done. There's so many systems, of course, Mm -hmm. Simplify listeners know. There's one that I, I like by Eric Fisher and Jim Woods. Mm -hmm. It's called Ready, Aim, Fire. And it's about goal setting and sticking to a plan. But what's nice about it is that it's about all the things around goal setting and sticking to a plan. So for example, you'll be more likely to hit these goals, stick to that 1,000 words a day if you can really visualize what the point of this is. Mm -hmm. So in the blinks we pull out, if you're wanting to write a book, go to a local bookstore and photograph the shelf you want it to appear on someday. Like uh, really try and anchor these things, yeah. right? Um, or That's like vision boarding almost. Yeah, like try and really anchor it. The Another good thing in the blinks was you might think you know why you're doing something, why you're writing it, but can you list seven reasons why you're doing it? Wow. Seven? Why seven? Just a lot. <laughs> you know? I don't think this is a scientific reason. I mean, the number seven is popular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seven, human, yeah. human brain loves the number seven. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like... I'm writing a book. Why? Because I want to be famous. Okay. Why else? Because I love writing. Cool. Why else? Because I want to make money. Why else? I don't know. Okay. Is that gonna is that gonna get you through day twenty two of a thousand mm. word of, of a thousand words okay, a day? Okay. So having many backup reasons for like your own continued personal motivation. Yeah. Just mm. being really like having a really strong reason why you're doing something mm. will help you do it. Mm-hmm. So I advise writing books are fun. Use yeah. AI tools. Use the internet. Don't plagiarize. But like, you know. Use research. Like I love, that's for me what's really exciting is Mm. getting my hands dirty with ideas. But. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. Indeed. Cool. What was it called again? Ready, Aim, Fire by Eric Fisher. Cool. All right. That's it. Uh, Are you going to go write your book now? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe I should build an audience. Maybe we should start a podcast and build an audience first. What a great idea. We should write a book. Yeah, we should. Would you buy or listen to a book on tape that Ben and I wrote? On tape? A book on tape. Oh, audio. Would you listen to an audio book on tape? <laughs> I, I like grew up with my dad listening to books on tape and he talked about them all the time. So audio books are yeah, forever yeah. in my head as books, books on, on tape. tape. Yeah. <laughs> we could also, that's where we can finally launch our book, Complicate. Indeed. Yeah. On tape. Yeah. <laughs> right. Accompanying Simplify podcast is the book series, Complicate. Complicate for teens, complicate for parents, complicate for new leaders in your organization. Complicate for dummies. <laughs> Part of that whole series. Anyway. Take uh, us out of here. This yeah. was fun. All right. Cool. Um, hope that you get your book writing off the ground. Let us know uh, how it's going for you if you want. You can email us at podcast at Blinkist.com. And if you would like to go check out uh, any of the Blinks that we mentioned, then please head to Blinkist.com slash simplify and you can tap on try now up in the upper right hand corner. Or you can just follow the link in the show notes and use the voucher code author. 
A-U-T-H-O-R. Yeah, easy enough. Yep. Try it free, 14 days. You can read anything in there. Maybe get some inspiration for your first book. And uh, that's it. Credits. Who produces Simplify, Caitlin? (laughs) Simplify, thank you for asking, (laughs) is produced by the wonderful Phoebe McIndoo, you, Ben Schumann-Stoller, me, Caitlin Schiller, and Maria Levichik. Also, sometimes with the help of Ben Jackson. Action, Action Jackson. Action Jackson. Other mysterious names back in there, but we won't say them all. They're too powerful. Uh, It was made in Berlin, Germany at Blinkist HQ. That is it for us. Check it out. See ya. 